0: Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your co-host, Matt Zemick, along with Saqib Ali. And we're here to talk about the career of Juan Martin Del Potro. And uh, we, we, we've received the news and, and, you know, there's that sense of finality that, that, that's sinking in. Uh, and so, we, you know, this is something that we were going to do. And we hope that this moment would be delayed, but it's here. And it, it's time for us to talk. So, Saqib, uh, so much to process about this career. I mean, we know kind of the storyline, the story arc, uh, and the sense of, you know, what might have been. And yet, you know, there's still been so much to savor from the Tower of Tandil's career. So, you know, your opening thoughts as we uh, settle into this conversation.
1: You know what you know what we're you were making the introduction to the show, like, what, 10 seconds ago? I was just thinking, since you and I have been doing this podcast, or since Tennis and an has been around, we haven't really retired a key men's player, like a, a slam champion. We've talked about some honorable careers like Tomash Burdick and David Ferrer. And every now and then, whenever I put you on the spot for, like, evaluation of, you know, the GOAT careers, or the fair answer is there is no finality. Those careers are still in motion, even Ferrer. Is still active. At least people believe he'll make a comeback. So here we are talking about Juan Martin Del Potro, uh, a career, you know, marked by injuries. Uh, It's a heartbreaking exit, but uh, not many are surprised that this would be the outcome. But I would say a lot of us are surprised that it happened now because when he announced he's coming back, we thought we'll see him making a run, you know, to Indian Wells and maybe, you know, play some clay tournaments, depending on how his body holds up, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot to ponder, a lot to process. And it's a classic case of uh, you can probably throw in many other cross sport examples as well. Like what it could have been, you know, because, you know, like when, when I talked about Marat Safin, for example, what it could have been, he was also someone marred by injuries, but not to this extent, but it was more about what if, had he put it together mentally and physically when he you know had those injuries, but with Del Potro with eight surgeries, this is just like, a very, very brutal card to tell to like, he he easily could have been in the Stan Wawrinka-Andy Murray category to start with, with at least three majors. Don't you think so? That's a fair connection point if he was not, uh, you know, marked by all these uh, operations?
0: Absolutely. I think there's very little question that if he hadn't been hit by injuries the way he was, uh, and that if he had been able to have you know, a relatively injury free. I mean, obviously injuries crop up. They've cropped up for Rafa. They cropped up for Djokovic in 2017. Uh, You know, Federer most recently as Roger, you know, approaches his own point of retirement, you know, they've all had some injuries, but Delpo has just been, you know, uh, buried by them. And if, so if Delpo just had, you know, the occasional injury, the occasional blip on a radar screen, And, you know, nothing much more than that, you know, few long scale, large scale disruptions. uh, There's very little doubt in my mind that he would have been able to get at least three majors. And let's let's note that, you know, he worked his way all the way back to the 2018 U.S. Open final against Djokovic. Um, It took a lot of doing It, it was nine years between U.S. Open Finals for Delpo. So like his perseverance and his quality still emerged uh, at that 2018 tournament. He still climbed his way back up the mountain. Just imagine if he didn't have injuries in in the latter part of his career. You know, you you put Delpo in, in the place of Zverev, Tsitsipas, and the guys who, you know, have fallen short. Dopo probably sneaks out at least one, if not two majors in the last three to four years, you know, doing what Zverev and and Sitsipas uh could not, maybe also what Dominic Team, uh, you know, similar to what Dominic Team did. Um, so you know, I'd say he gets at least one or two majors in this this last three or four-year period. And then, you know, if if he didn't have injuries in the mid-2010s. You know, he probably finds his way in there somewhere, uh, you know, in, in one of the different majors. I mean, and so, you know, the, the larger conversation about Delpo, well, obviously we're going to talk about this more as we go along. But, you know, Delpo his, his one of his claims to fame is that he took on the big three in these memorable slugfests like Djokovic at the U.S. Open, not, not 2018, but uh, the, the earlier battle. Uh, that he had with Novak. And then, of course, you know, the great encounters with Federer uh, in 2009 at Roland Garros and then the U.S. Open. Uh, And then, of course, with Andy Murray at at the Olympics and in Davis Cup, Uh, Delpo took on the best of the best and played these memorably long, contentious, thrilling, dramatic matches, you know, on the regular tour and then international events such as Davis Cup and the Olympics. And like he was right there with the elites, so it just shows that if he had a, a full bill of health and if he been, had been able to have a you know a, a career with you know few to no injury disruptions, uh, I I certainly think he gets three majors. I think he probably gets four. Might have had a chance for five. Uh, it's just a, a lot of what might've been now, you know, you, the, the, other final point to, to mention, as you just briefly alluded to with Safin with Nowbandian, with, you know, a lot of other players who have their own share of what ifs it's because of the inner game and falling short well, Delpo's inner game was outstanding. It was only about the physical and just, just having the horrible injury luck. So it's a different kind of feeling, you know, it's like a helpless feeling as opposed to, wow, I had these moments in my hands and I let it slip away. So not as much regret, just more of a feeling of helplessness uh, that his body kept betraying him the way it did.
1: And I think it's also worth mentioning that he, along with Nalbandian, were cut from a different cloth when it comes to Argentine tennis. I mean, I have... uh... I mean, I have bookish knowledge of what, how great Vilas was on clay, but since I've been watching tennis, all the Argentine guys like Perez Roldan or Martin Haite and all these guys from late 80s to early 90s, uh, to even the likes of Guillermo Coria, and you know, uh, they were all like clay court players. Him and Albandian were the first, I think, players from Argentina who grew up on clay, but they packed a punch on hard courts and we could see like someone threw a very interesting stat on Twitter the other day, the Del Potro is the only guy when he accompanied the big three in a semi and walked away with a major. All three were there at the 2009 US Open semis and Federer lost the final, Nadal lost to him and Djokovic lost to Federer. He won the tournament. So that's like a stat in itself. So before we go into like, you know, some of his uh, monumental matches, like the one he played against Djokovic at Wimbledon in 2013, I, I-, I want to ask you a sports writer, you know, analyst, and uh, we, we haven't done this kind of stuff, like I said. We haven't retired a major marquee player yet on this podcast since we've been talking stuff. Where do you rate him in terms of like modern days, like say last 25 years uh, in men's tennis? Uh, if you compare him to say an Andy Roddick, who was also a single major winner, but you're know in world number one. Uh, where do you rate Del Potro compared to a Roddick or even compared to like a Safin who won two majors or a Hewitt who had like two full years at world number one? And now we are going to this, you know, barstool conversation. You can throw in a bunch of gray stuff. You can throw in pure statistic. How do you go about these kind of comparisons with these three guys I mentioned or someone else? If you're a Soderling who obviously didn't win a slam, but how do you rate Del Potro in the pecking order of greatness if you take the top three guys out and where does he sit?
0: Well, it's a natural question. And it's a natural comparison to invite on the occasion of, you know, the retirement of Del Potro. But and I know that listeners, you know, aren't going to be happy about this. But you know, sometimes the unhappy answer is the answer I have to give. It's really just hard to make a, a finite comparison, just because this was a stop and start career, and we didn't have get to see just a natural progression, a natural evolution of a player. Now, I mean, the, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that Delpo did get back to the U.S. Open final in 2018, that. That, in many ways, is more impressive than the 2009 U.S. Open. And, of course, that doesn't diminish the 2009 U.S. Open. It's a monumental feat. You know, Federer was was so close to having a two-sets-to-love lead. He led two sets to one. He could have finished off that match so many times. So, you know, Delpo winning that match, just an absolutely titanic feat. But, you know, for nine years of injuries and interruptions and false starts, and for Del po to still get back to another U.S. Open final, it, you know, when viewed through that lens, that's such a testament to the competitor Del Potro was. I'm not talking about the player. I'm not talking about his uh, hammer of a, of a forehand and his, you know, massive T-serves. Uh, I'm just talking about the way he competed, the way he carried himself, the way he handled himself. So, you know, for, for, for that reason, you could say that, you know, maybe he was better than, uh, some of the other guys you mentioned, but ultimately just the fact that his career was so injury laden, uh, you know, that you have so many injuries cropping up at so many points, it's hard to hold that kind of career, uh, as interrupted as it was up against, uh, other careers, which, you know, for either for better or worse, were able to unroll in a very natural and organic way. Um, in terms of Andy Roddick I mean to try to offer a comparison I think just you know reflexively Delpo had the better career just because he was a factor on all surfaces pretty evenly and consistently Roddick was a player who you know could have won several Wimbledons had Roger Federer not existed but uh, Roddick uh, you know had a few U.S. Open runs but you know Wimbledon was so centrally the, the major tournament where he came close, you know, several times. And Delpo is a guy who made a run at Wimbledon, made runs uh, at the other majors. Um, so in ter- just in terms of being a factor on all surfaces, that's something in, in Delpo's corner, uh, coming close to multiple major titles, that's where you'd give the checkmark to Roddick. But ultimately, I just have a hard time saying, well, Delpo was definitely better or worse than Roddick, just because with Delpo, I mean the ultimate grade on the report card, it's not A minus, it's not B plus, it's incomplete.
1: Mm, fair enough. Uh, this is definitely one way to steer this because now it's over over with, and you're right. Uh, and and some you know, some fans would also argue, uh, you know, that Delpo played uh, his best tennis in the company of you know three, you know, absolute top tier, you know, like maybe three of the greatest players, that's how they'll go down. And then a very able Andy Murray. And then there you throw in a Stan Vavrinka, even though Delpo and Wawrinka, it never really, you know, came uh, to a point where they both were playing their best tennis because Delpo was always, like you said, coming back from an injury. And Wawrinka's rise is like in those years from 2014 to 2017, when he played some of his best tennis and, um, and it's okay. So let, let me just ask the same question in a different way. So the Rodics, the Safins, the Gugas, you know, Hewitts, they all became number one. And it's not their fault that they didn't have to deal with the peak Federer or like uh, definitely the arrival of Nadal and Djokovic. You know, you were dealt the cards you were dealt like in terms of where you're born, how you start playing. Those are different eras. So uh, do you hold it against Delpo for never being ranked number one or that's the, th- that's the kind of era he played in? And At the same time, it's not like... Uh, Apples for apples, when you compare it with someone like Andy Roddick,
0: yeah, you can't hold uh, hold it against Delpo for not for not being number one because of the competition that he was going against. I mean, you know, the, there's the old expression that uh, two thirds of the earth is is covered by uh, water. The other third was covered by Willie Mays, you know, a great center fielder who would just ran, <laughs> would run down every other ball. So, like in the ATP's Golden Three big three era, you know, two thirds of the earth are covered by Federer and Djokovic uh, in terms of the world. Number one ranking, you know, Nadal is the best number two player and number two seed at major tournaments in human history, you know, because he he, Federer or or Djokovic were usually seated number one, but Nadal would be seated number two and he'd beat them at Roland Garros. He'd beat them at Wimbledon. uh, He, you know, he'd beat them uh, in Australia. So, um, you know, just the, the 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 fact that the big three covered the whole earth, basically in terms of the world number one ranking during Delpo's career, you can't hold that uh, against Delpo. And and you know, in terms of fitting Delpo into a larger historical context, socket, I mean, you know, Tomas Berdych, Joe Wilfred Songa, David Ferrer, you know, those were the guys. They were always in the top eight, right? They were always making quarterfinals. Uh, especially Burdick and and, and Ferrer for a period of time uh, at at the major tournaments. They were just had that machine-like regularity, uh, and they were such constant presences in the top eight. I mean, Delpo was deprived of the ability to have that same uh, constant presence in the top eight uh, due to the injuries, but I have no doubt that he would have done precisely that, and I think probably would have been able to improve upon what Burdick, Ferrer Sanga uh, were able to do uh, in that particular era uh, of ATP tennis in the early 2010s. But, you know, with all those injuries, he he just, he couldn't stay in there for that reason. But, um, you know, that I think that is one of the more helpful and illuminating uh, comparisons to make in terms of, just in terms of the era in which Delpo played, you know, this, this, it's hard to really uh, translate that to, you know the '90s and 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 uh, and the fluctuations that existed. You know, with Marcelo Rios briefly rising to the top and then flaming out, and and uh, all of those uh, French Opens in which you had very obscure uh, finalists and semifinalists for a period of time. I mean, you know, put put Del Potro in an era of Martin Berkirk. You know, he he probably would have been able to win a couple French Opens if if his prime. Had existed you know before the big three era, so you know i think I think the main thing though is that when you when you put Delpo up against his non big three contemporaries, you know outside of the big three outside of Andy Murray, Delpo was the next best player when he was healthy. I don't think there's too much doubt about that because bafranca you know with all for all that he did at majors and and for all the ways in which he stood up to the big three. Uh, in the biggest tournaments, Bavrinka then, you know, would lose in the second round of the Geneva Open. And, you know, he had these odd flameouts even on even on his on clay, his best surface uh, at, at the Masters uh, series. So, you know, if, if just if we had Delpo healthy for full seasons, full uh, surface specific portions of the calendar, I think that he was the best non-big three, and if you include Murray, non-big four player on tour. But, you know, again, you, if, if anyone wants to debate that, they can just say, hey, he wasn't durable enough to last through whole seasons, so you have to put somewhere else, someone else in there. I get that. I don't even disagree with it. it it's really just the, the, the fragmented nature of Del Poe's career, and it's just that unknowable uh, question that we're all going to have to deal with.
1: I think you made some excellent points there. And uh, again, it's a Delpo uh, homage podcast, but uh, it's definitely worth mentioning what you just said about Andy Murray. That, uh, you know, one thing is winning all these majors. He won more Masters 1000 titles than anyone besides the big three, I think. He's right up there with Andre Agassi. I don't know what the, what the tally is. And that also highlights Andy Murray's greatness that he consistently Took out Federer Djokovic Nadal, or you know, like took out his share of Masters 1000. I don't know the math in front of me. And guys like Delpo, Vavrinka, have just, and Chilich have just won one Masters 1000 each, and they've all won majors. So those titles were hard to come by, but this is also like differentiation uh, a class apart what Andy Murray was when he was playing some of his best tennis up till 2016, that he regularly won those Masters 1000, which were so hard to come by in the big three era. So your thoughts on that. And of course, you know, uh, my next question is uh, how would you compare Delpo to say other players at the Masters 1000 level? Again, it's an incomplete book, but do you think one is too less of a title to show up there?
0: Well, one, one is small, but it's not small for lack of trying. And, you know, when I look at someone like, let's, let's take Tomas Berdik, for example, like, you know, he had, he had a good run before his career petered out late. And his body, you know, gave out on him. Like Berdick was an Ironman. Birdie was, you know, his fitness, his health were not in question, and he, you know, was a guy you could just count on to make the quarterfinals at a at a Masters one thousand event. Um, so, like, if if Delpo had, you know, an extended career with few inter- interruptions, you know, I, I it's just you know the, the, we have to remember that Delpo more than others had to, you know, stop everything, restart. Then he, then he would stop. Then he would restart again. It's also something that Kei Nishikori uh, has gone through, you know, in in, in the latter portions of his career. K. like, like Delpo, like the two, those two can relate to having to stop and start, stop and start, stop and start. And so as frustrating, (laughs) as frustrating as it is to go through that stop and start cycle once or twice the you know it had to get to delpo (laughs) when you're doing it for the 29th time for the 35th time (laughs) you know it just the the amount of interruptions to a career is just absurd and when all of those interruptions accumulate and moreover you know he he obviously had the, the the knee problems here but you know having the wrist problems that he had I mean if your wrist just just doesn't function like that 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 is that cooks your goose as a tennis player you like there are certain body parts you simply cannot have uh in deficient condition uh in order to to play top class tennis and and for Delpo like that's the other thing it's not just the reality of injuries generally it's that his body parts <laughs> were the most important body parts a tennis player has, and and that's that. That's the other thing which should not be ignored. That you know, it's one thing uh, when you have you know maybe like a a bruised thigh or a, a you know some some other body part that you know it's just maybe kind of soreness or discomfort or general wear and tear. Quite another thing as a tennis player for your wrist and for your knee uh, to, to to be in really bad shape. Like you just. It, given the punishment of hard courts, given the the stress on joints, um, and, and, and your extremities, like Delpo suffered the specific kinds of injuries that are just absolute crushers for tennis players, and so that that's another detail which has to be highlighted.
1: Yeah, no, definitely right. You 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 can't you can't be overlooking that as well. You're right. Okay, so another thing that we seldom do here is if we're making a career power ranking of these six, seven men that we discussed, Delpo and the guys who are still playing, and leave the big three aside, if you focus on Murray, uh, Wawrinka, Del Potro, Burdick, Songa, if you look at the absolute ceiling with no, and it being a perfect day, like they say, all things being equal, who would you stack without the titles on pure ability with these guys? Who's sitting at the top? Is it Murray? Is it Wawrinka? Is it Delpo? Is it Songa? Is it Burdick? Anyone else I'm missing?
0: Well, yeah, well, I mean, you know, that those are those are like the main names. And I think the 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 fascinating conversation to be had here, you know, for anyone who's a diehard tennis fan and loves to compare, you know, these great players is how do you define it when you say this guy at his best would have been better? You know, this guy at his best, you know, rates rates higher. And I, and I say that because when we talk about the, that notion of when this player was at his best, you know, he was unplayable or he was untouchable, but being at your best, like what should we assign as the standard for that sake? Because like Sanga, Joe Wilfred Sanga, he could be in an absolute zone for one and a half sets, but rarely carried that, that absolute peak zone for much longer. Now the you know the two the 2008 Australian Open semifinal against Rafa. Like that that pro- is probably Sanga's best match ever because because he was in a zone for three whole Bad. sets. Never came down from the mountain. But like it there's it was so rare for him to play more than one and a half to two sets in the zone. So what do you say well hey when Sanga was at his best No one else could touch him. Well, but if like, if you can't carry that through whole matches, can you really even merit that kind of classification? If your, if your absolute zone is that short and that brief. So Vavrinka makes a compelling case here because we saw Vavrinka not only get into the zone, but stay in the zone in major finals against the big three Uh, You know, what he did against Djokovic in, you know, in Paris uh, in 2015 and then at the U.S. Open uh, in 2016, obviously, you know, winning the Australian Open against Rafa, that was overshadowed by Rafa's health. But, you know, Wawrinka demonstrated twice against Djokovic and prime Djokovic, you know, in in his prime, in his absolute prime, uh, that he could stand in the arena. And play at a high level. And never get thrown off the mountain. So Valfrenka makes a very compelling case. For that notion of. When this guy was at his best. You know he was right. He was right there. With the big three. So with Delpo. All those long slugfests that I've mentioned. You know the Wimbledon semifinal against Djokovic in 2013. uh, The epic battles with Federer. uh, In 2009. um, You know the times that he went at it. Uh, hammer and tongs. You know, with with uh, Murray at the Olympics and in Davis Cup. You know, in in five set battles. Um, so Delpo is kind of, you know, he his his absolute peak didn't quite rise to where Stan placed it, but Delpo, I think, had more instances of prolonged battles than Stan did. I mean, it's it's close, but. Like you can see in, in a lot of different tournaments, not just the majors, you can see Delpo going at it with the big three in a lot more situations. So it's it's really, really close between Delpo and, and Vafrinka in that notion within that notion of when this guy was at his best, you know, he, he rates really uh, favorably and compares favorably too. Uh, the other non-big three players of his time. It's it's a very complicated conversation.
1: All right. So let's make it more complicated. Then. Uh, so you're saying these two rate slightly higher than Andy Murray? Is that is that what I heard?
0: <laughs> I, I, you know, I put them right there with Andy Murray because Murray was right there with Djokovic in the 2012 uh, Australian Open semifinals, and and he was right there in in other memorable battles i i would i would put it this way because like i i do say i do think that murray uh kind of d- it, murray has always existed in kind of his own place you know uh, below the big three but above everybody else i think i think murray deserves that so you know fans are going to say you can't include murray as part of a big four um and you know I I, I, kind of think, well, you know, if you want to make them a big four, like there's no real harm in that, but for anyone who has said over the years and still thinks that, you know, you should, you should just call it the big three uh, and, and get kind of, you know, give Murray kind of his own set aside place. So I think Murray kind of is in a, is in his own league because Murray had the career where we got to see him consistently battle the best of the best, the big three in both the, major tournaments and at the master's level. So I think that Murray kind of, that place is secure. And so I think really the discussion is, you know, do Delpo and Stan rate right there with Murray uh, in terms of that, when they're on, you know, they, they, they rate favorably. And I'd say, yes, I think that Delpo and Stan have, have delivered too many high quality, big stage matches at majors against the elites uh, to deny them, you know, that, that rec- piece of recognition. Like, I think that Delpo and Stan need to be seen as being better than Burdick, Sanga, Ferrer. Um, and I know that, uh, I, I, I know, Chilich too. I know that, um, you know, they only have, that you know, that, that uh, Delpo has only one major, but, and I think that, you know, this is where, we have to acknowledge that the injuries prevented him from being better. You know, I did say earlier in our conversation that I think if Delpo doesn't have the long trail of injuries, that he probably wins three and he might win four. Um, so I think that Delpo and Stan, their competitive quality, does certainly lift them a notch or two higher than Burdick, Sanga, Ferrer. I think that much. Uh, is pretty clear now. Where how you rate Delpo relative to Stan, and and relative to Murray? I think that is that is the harder comparison to make.
1: All right to to understand, you know, your weighted system uh, is becoming your interview than Del Potro. But so where what are the metrics, Matt? I mean, everybody knows in tennis the holy grail is the majors. Win one, win two, you know, you are in a different league. So where does world number one ranking? Masters 1000, and overall titles rank for you. And let's use Marin Cilic as a case. We've been talking about Burdick, Songa, Ferrer. In many minds, I'm sure, even including you, Cilic winning the U.S. Open when he's done industrial, he's above those three, it's fair to say. But on a spectrum of one win, uh, one slam, not wonders, but one slam winners like Roddick, Delpo, and Cilic, for example, it's fair to say Cilic won't win a second one. What else do
0: you look for? Well, I think, I think the main thing is consistency and you can be, because you know, you could win a major, but then you don't show up at, you know, the next several tour events and you don't establish a a track record over five or six years of being able to get to the quarters semis finals of majors of masters. So, you know, we saw in the late 1990s and the very early two thousands before Federer and then Nadal and Djokovic came along, we saw a lot of players who fit that particular category. You know, they'd pick off a major, but wouldn't, would not be heard from, you know, a lot at the other big events, the four majors and then the nine masters uh, the rest of the year. So, you know, for the most part, you know, if you do have one or two majors more than another guy, that does make your career better, but you know there, are like uh, anyone who picked off one major in that pre-Federer Nadal era, uh, you know, the, you know the more obscure players who were able to sneak in an Australian Open or uh, a, a, another major title, I wouldn't automatically say that they had better careers than a David Ferrer than. A uh, Tomas Burdick, because those guys were in the top eight for a very long time, you know, won 600, 700 matches. So a guy who wins 400, 500 more matches than another guy, but the uh, that other guy had the, had the one major, the, the guy who won the 400 more matches had the better career. Now, I mean, now the other guy has that major title and that achievement, which he worked his whole life for. So there's a certain obvious fulfillment there's a certain obvious sense of satisfaction hey i reached the holy grail other guys didn't but when the gulf you know is vast the other factors can and should uh weigh more in an evaluation than just major titles so the real the real point here sakib is that the major titles matter most as a uh, metric and as a point of comparison when the other things are, are, are relative, when, when the other standards are, you know, relatively comparable, but you know, when there are, when there are huge disparities, then major titles can't and shouldn't become the first thing uh, that we look at. So, uh, you know, to bring this back to, to Delpo, if we had a career, which was not so, tormented and interrupted by injuries. I mean, I think you would have seen him do well at the majors, at the masters. I think he would have put together a pretty complete portfolio of results. We can never know that for sure. But seeing him compete at his best in on the biggest stages, you know, with the big three, it certainly would let would make a reasonable person conclude, hey, if this guy didn't have to stop and start and stop and start so many times over the course of his career, you know, we would have seen maybe not Murray level consistency, but something close to that. And if you in if you factor in, you know, the belief that he would have won three majors, you know, so that 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 puts him not very far from where Andy Murray uh, and his overall career resume have ended up.
1: Alright, so I promise I wrap this up in two more questions because this is interesting. Like you and I have never met. Uh so I'm asking you more and more things. And uh so let me peel another layer of this onion. Because you said someone who's won more matches has to be weighted than someone who just A lot won a more way.
0: matches. Yeah. A lot more matches.
1: All right. So again, not Del Potro's contemporaries, but his seniors, you know, and this is more like an extension of the big three, you know, the fan base, you know, uh deep digging narrative like oh he did this or he didn't do this so in, in my world before I started doing a podcast me and Anand you know being Marat Safin and Andy Roddick fans respectively me and Anand yeah Safin for me Roddick for him yeah so we always you know jokingly talked about this and I know like look Roddick had a more consistent career but Safin too had a lot of injuries he missed three full seasons because of wrist and other injuries and then he was of course the inner game we can talk about but he won two majors Roddick won one but Roddick uh, had a year and number one. And they both, I think, won five Masters 1,000 and both won, won Davis Cup each, if not mistaken. Maybe Roddick won two. But then here's the thing. Safin won 15 titles and he was in top 10 for like maybe four years because he was injured and then he, couldn't, he was never the same player after 2005. Roddick was more consistent. So John Wertheim put Safin in his best, uh, ranked higher over Roddick in the top 10 players of the 2000s. And so, Roddick did win more than 150 matches. So, and the Safin uh, apologist like myself would say, hey, he beat Federer and Sampras to win his major, and Roddick got, you know, Nalbandian and Ferrero. Uh, do you believe in these comparisons, or do you say, okay, Safin had two majors, he's better, or you say Roddick is more consistent,
0: so he's better, or is too close to call? Well, it's pretty close. And, and you know, so f- people listening to this Tense of the Accent <laughs> podcast, they might, they might go, all right, Matt. So, you know, so 300 matches, 200 matches, 100 matches, is there a magic number? There's not a magic number, and I think with with the Saffin roddick comparison that you've elicited socket, I think that the the key point is that you know he missed 3 seasons due to injury. So, when we look at a 150 match difference, is it because of competitive quality or is it because of injuries? Now, this is this is something we've been talking about on this show that Delpo's lack of a, a, a fuller trophy case, it's not because of he failed to compete well, it's because of the, of the physical side. And so when, when you can neat, pretty neatly say that, you know, if Safin was healthier, he probably stacks up a lot more match wins, and you know, if he had those three seasons instead of having them taken away. So that right there tells me that when Safin was healthy, that 150 match difference really fades away in terms of significance. It puts Safin and and Roddick on relatively comparable planes. And so for that reason, the major titles then represents a tiebreaker or at least a significant, uh, point of comparison. Now, if we, if we lived in an alternate reality where those three seasons by Safin that he missed, uh, Let's—if we lived in an alternate universe where he didn't win those matches just because he imploded, you know, which he was known to have done. Um, but if he—but if that extra, those extra uh, months and years were were just squandered with his play, and he didn't have three years lost uh, to injury, that would naturally change the nature and the trajectory of the conversation with a uh, Saffin-Roddick comparison. So I would say Saffin does have the better career. I would say it's very close, but I think that the fact that he lost a lot of time to injuries, as opposed to just, you know, like the prodigal son wasting his career, um, the fact that injuries had such a prominent place in Saffin's career, limiting its ceiling, that you know that dynamic, similar to Delpo, uh, that, you know, that should... It either help him in overall comparisons with other players, or at least it should not penalize him. That might be the better point of emphasis.
1: Nice. Right, so I think we covered more than what we wanted. Uh, this is good and good stuff. Uh, I felt like I know you in a different light. <laughs> and those of you listening, you know where he is. He said a lot of stuff here, so you can hold him accountable when you write next time about Federer, Djokovic, and the other guys. He's Matt Samek. I'm Sakibali. Uh, and don't drop out. There's a second part of this conversation where I'm talking to uh, Carlos uh, Braciella about uh, and how an Argentine fan looks at the career of Juan Martin Del Potro. So this is a double, uh, double episode combined into one and hope uh, Juan Martin Del Potro uh, leads a healthy life post-retirement, uh, doesn't have too many injuries and he was, it was delight following him and it was fun chatting with Matt after a couple of weeks hiatus and uh, follow us on Twitter and Tennis with an Accent. Thank you for listening.
0: Uh, Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tennis with an Argentine accent. Uh, Muchísimas gracias, Del Po. Vaya con Dios.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tennis with an Accent. Uh, This is Saqib Ali, and I'm joined by my good friend, uh, Carlos uh, Barciela from Argentina. We met six years ago at Roland Garros. We were both visiting, didn't know each other, and since then we've been following each other on Twitter. And I meant to get him on the podcast a few years ago, but things didn't plan out. And we were planning to do a special episode in the Argentina Open. Uh, I ran this idea by Carlos, and then boom, Juan, Carlos, uh, Juan Martin Del Potro decides to retire from tennis. So we made this into a Del Potro episode. Uh, welcome to the show, Carlos. It's been long coming. We should have done this two, three years ago, but uh, it's never late, I guess. How are you?
2: Hi, Sakir. Thank you very much. I'm glad to see you again and to talk to you about tennis and Martin del Potro, especially.
1: Sure. So, you know, everybody knows, you know, his record. You know, he's had, like, you know, a lot of injury, you know, because and then surgeries. I think he's gone through eight times in the the operation theatre to, you know, repair either a knee or a wrist. But he's one of the best players the last uh, 10, 12 years, easily. He's the only guy who beat... uh, and Nadal and Ferrer back-to-back, you know, to win the U.S. Open. Of course, not named Djokovic. And Djokovic was also in the semifinal. So he has one slam, but a lot of people expected him to do many, many things in the court. But let's start with Argentina. Uh, is he the best player for the last 10 years in Argentina? Or maybe is he the best player after Vilas?
2: For sure, the best player from the last 10 years. And also after Vilas, for me, my personal opinion, opinion. He's the best. Uh, he was the best tennis player that we we have here, after Vilas.
1: And, and and he's a guy who was pretty good on clay, but he his main court was main surface was hard courts. That's a change so, that happened in the last fifteen years.
2: That's a, a good question because he started to play tennis in a in his a hometown city of Tandil. Tandil is on the southwest of the state of Buenos Aires from 400 kilometers from Buenos Aires it's a small town a small city of 150,000 people and he started to play tennis as a kid at the club of Independiente of Tandil and here in Argentina the 95 98% of the of the tennis courts are from clay you you, you learn to play tennis in clay so as a kid he started to play tennis in clay so he learned to play tennis in clay but you know as we know he always said that his preferred uh, tournament was the US US Open that's that's hard and if you see how he prepared his his annual he his tournaments on the tour of annual he chose most of his uh, the tournaments of I uh, on hard yeah, avoiding clay. He, he he he. Never, I don't think he ever played the Argentina Open, right? At least. No, he well, didn't. That, that's that's because that's another issue because he the Argentinian Open. Their general manager is an ex tennis player called you know him Martin Jaite. Well, Del Potro. He's not an easy person, also because you know tennis players. Are very particular. No, it's a very. Uh, uh, I don't know how to say. It. Very, um, you know, you, you are very alone. Mm-hmm. You are all all alone on the court. Um, so. He he has he doesn't have a good relationship with Haite.
1: Why is that? Is it because it's played on? Clay? Because of
2: because of Nalbadian. Oh, because Nalbandy. of Nalbadian. Because Haite Haite was the coach. Of Nalbadian when they had the they had that, that problem at the davis Cup and Haite was also the davis Cup coach hmm. and uh, when he was coaching Nalbadian so they are back two thousand and eight when that problem started so
1: All right so just to give as,
2: this Haite being, and- as Haite being the general manager of the tournament of the buenos aires tournament he he didn't he never played here.
1: Wow. All right, we were going to get to it uh, later on because uh, I guess now is the perfect time to talk about it. So listeners most probably know Del Potro and Albandian, like, you know, many tennis players from the same country, had a very tough relationship, or at least on the court, they didn't get along as teammates. And Argentina, there's no secret, Davis Cup is huge there. So Carlos, let's go back to the time you are talking about, 2008, when Spain was supposed to come to Argentina to play the final it was a team without Nadal Argentina was expected to win their first final because they had lost in 2006
2: to Russia so walk us through what happened there in that final well Nadal was injured back back at that time Nadal was injured so Argentina was the the favorite we had Nalbadian Del Potro Acasuso Acasuso um I don't remember the other. Maybe Svelari? Caleri, maybe Caleri yeah. or, or Caleri, probably. I don't remember very well, but well, that's not the point. But at that time, yeah. you know, Nalbadian here in Argentina was like a most popular player, uh, tennis player here. Del Potro was starting to play well. He was a kid, uh, you, you know, we are talking 14 years ago, he's 33 right now, so he was 19 years old back at that time. Yeah, up and coming. Yes. Nambayan was older, I believe, 28, 27. I don't remember really his age at that time, but the guy, he's from Córdoba, and he had an arrangement with a politician from Córdoba to take the match to Córdoba because it was, a, it was a lot of money, Going to they are going to they were they were they were going to pay a lot of money to put the match on Cordoba, you know because in Argentina the politicians they used to 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 engage with the the the, the players of tennis players soccer players to to won the elections. So if I if Cordoba had the match. That was going to be a very huge uh, moment for that for the politicians of Córdoba, you know? Eln Albanian put a lot of money in his pocket. Also. <laughs> but
1: the final didn't At move the the to Córdoba, right?
2: Del po- well, well, Del Potro was a kid, but when that, that that came out, the vice president of Argentina, Daniel Scioli, he wanted to take the match to Mar del Plata. In the state of Buenos Aires, Mar del Plata is really close from Tutunillo, 150. And he started to talk with the Del Potro's father who who was uh, 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 picking up his his career, no? He was a kid. So that back at that time when that was when the problem with Albatian Del Potro started, because the match was finally played in in Mar del Plata. <laughs> and Argentina lost. Mm. <laughs> because Del yeah. Potro lost to Feliciano in singles. And beat Ferrer. We lost the, the doubles on Saturday. I remember because I was there watching. And on Sunday, Verdasco won the third point from... From Spain and, and won the title beating Acasuso because Del Potro lost to Feliciano and got injured.
1: Oh.
2: So that was a, the, the, after all, it was a money problem. So that
1: was the beginning of the problem. So did after, basically after that, did Nelbandian and Del Potro, did the relationship ever get better?
2: or Never, never. Because it was a lot of money going on if the match was went to Cordoba or to Mar del Plata, from one side or to the other side. You know, I'm talking about uh, million dollars. Eh? I'm talking about uh, thirty thousand, forty thousand. I'm talking about a lot of money.
1: And just to give context, we all know Argentina is really big in, into you know Davis Cup. So how big is Davis Cup? You know, if you if the English speaking fans are listening here from other countries. How big is Davis Cup, and what's the country's fixation with Davis Cup? And you, as a oh, was, fan, growing up, yeah.
2: Me, me as a fan, I prefer the. If I if I if, if I were a, a professional tennis player, I prefer to win Roland Garros or Wimbledon. Uh, or U.S. Open before before the Davis Cup. But here in Argentina, most of the people, for most of the people the most important tournament is Davis Cup it's like winning the i don't know from the super bowl something like that yeah so there was a lot of pressure to the players to 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 win the Davis Cup they they were criticized a lot when they lost to Spain you know the and finally del potro with the, the argentina team we we won in croatia years later you know yeah but it was like a popular it was very 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 popular the Davis Cup here I see so going back
1: to Del Porto not playing the Argentina Open for all these years do you think it's strictly because of his relationship with Martin Haite or is it also the time he rather play Acapulco and Indian Wells he that's an excuse that's an excuse. <laughs> yes, yes. That's an excuse. So did the Argentina See, public hold it against Del Potro? No, I mean,
2: the fans? Which, which, which tournaments are, are right now the same week that the Buenos Aires Open is, is, is been playing right now in, other, in, the, in in the world? We are Buenos Aires, and the other tennis uh, tournament is Rotterdam, I
1: believe. And then the new tournament in U.S. called Dallas. It used to be Memphis. So yes. it's an in- indoor tournament, yeah.
2: There's no Indian Wells, no Acapulco. It wasn't. It was an excuse from Del Potro every year.
1: So, did the Argentina press, the media, or the Argentina fans? Did they? Uh, did they get upset with El Potro for not t- playing the biggest tournament in the country? How was that yes. relationship?
2: It was. It wasn't good because in the, in the, in, it's like uh, I don't know. It's like uh, Federer didn't play in Basilea. Hmm. and when you play in in uh, uh, Shanghai yeah, or somewhere else. Yeah. And yeah, I see the point. Yeah. It's like uh, you have to play your the ten uh, the tournament of your country. You have to play. It's only one week in a year. You have a huge calendar, a lot of tournaments. It's only one week. Yeah, he yeah. never played. That's why he, he he's he's not quite not being the people. Uh, they, there are many people who didn't like Del Potro because of that, and also, and also, uh, Del Potro is not. I'm not saying an uh, Albayan they say they say that people who know him that he's not a good guy. He's not, and he's not professional. He wasn't well. professional in his career. You know. When Argentina lost the Davis Cup here, three days before playing to Ferrer, the final, he went out at night. He went out at night to a a nightclub. He got he got drunk, and then when he went quing, out, he um, crashed with his car with an, an, another car.
1: Yeah, I remember that he had a car, he had an accident. Yeah. That came the out the press, the, the
2: press covered covered it all, covered it, covered it all, you no. know. But that was the, the truth. Was he got drunk three years before playing the final of the Debbie Cup, going to a nightclub. That's not professional. He he wasn't uh, a professional player. The Potro, yes, for my opinion. As uh, as as, 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 a, as a fan of Argentina
1: tennis, you say you value Grand Slams more. But you also live in Buenos Aires. So, does it bother you that Del Potro didn't play the tournament? Because I know you go to the tournament every year. You didn't go this yes. year, but we talk about that every year, that you are visiting It's the biggest tournament in your city, in your country. So, yeah, we were you upset that Del Potro was putting his personal conflict with Martin Haite and uh, David Nalbandian and not playing the I tournament? Was, Did it bother I, you? I
2: was, I was upset. At, at, at some point because you know I didn't like very much uh, the, uh, i didn't like uh, Nalbanian and haiti also you okay. know? so I understand del Potro in some at some point but but one year two years he had to play and he played in, this year because he got, he got injured he, and he had another, and no no place to go to play. That's yeah. that's the that's the point. Three years without playing. Well that's because he, he played the, the, the tournament. That's my opinion. That's my and, and and he and he also here, you know, the in a country like Argentina, the sports are very they mix very with poli- politics. You know, that's not good for me. It had to be sports one way, politics other way. So I remember when Del Potro won the U.S. Open here in 2009, the president at that moment, uh, Fernández, she wanted to receive uh, Del Potro at the Casa Rosada. It's like the White House from U.S. Mm-hmm.
0: And,
2: and, and Del Potro didn't didn't go because <laughs> he uh, he doesn't like politicians. Okay. That's for is me. Was a very that it, is it? Uh, is it he doesn't like? I, po-
1: is it he doesn't like politicians or he likes another political party?
2: Well, bo- both, both. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> both. Yeah, both because he yes, uh, and he was very criticized from the from the government. No, they send the they are IR, they IRS to. Over him also, it was very, at the, problem, at the moment, it was, very, <laughs> it was a very big problem for him after that. Okay. You,
1: no, that's good to know. So let's talk about his career and his legacy. Uh, Del was is a very, very popular player. I think uh, we both follow tennis. You know, his rivalries with Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray. Uh, he's right up there. If he was not injured, many people believe he would have won more tournaments and even more Grand Slams. So what is his legacy? Along with Nalbandian, from my watching, I think these are two players from Argentina who were really good on hard courts. They were very good on clay, but they were better on hard courts. Before that, you know, the Argentina players were preferred, even if Perez Roldan or if it's, you know, some other guys like Martin Haite and all these guys, Zabaleta, they all were primarily clay court players. Yes, Coria also. Coria, Coria. yeah, Gaudio. So what what changed? Did, Did... you know, what changed in Argentina? Is Del Potro part of the system in Tandil, Or he's just like a freak accident that he's just
2: better on hard than clay? So what no, was his bringing? It's an accident. It's an accident. A hundred percent an accident. It's not part we of the system. Have, we, we don't have hard courts, uh, hard courts here in Argentina. If I, want, I I pick up my racket, I want to play with you in Argentina. I can, I can find a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred clay courts but a hard courts I don't find you know we, we, we don't have here. So, Oh, so- or, or, or if we have we have I don't, I don't think uh, like, like 10 100 clay courts and 2 hard courts so I don't know how he uh, uh, preferred how he arranged to prefer hard court like in Albanian uh, uh, on over clay courts. I don't know. So did did the Argentina federation
1: change their ways because, like in U.S., you know, for the last twenty or thirty years, they've been saying American players cannot play on clay. So now in the UST, the new center in Orlando, Florida, they have put a lot of clay code and the UST send a lot of American players to Europe to play or encourage them to play in the 250s or the clay season. So has uh, with the rise of Nalbandian and now Del Potro, has Argentina Federation tried to put more focus on hard courts? Has that been talked about? Or? No, no. The same
2: issue. Same issue? Same issue, no.
1: But as a like
2: fan, as a fan, don't you I, think they I should? I don't know. I, I don't know how uh, Argentina, as a poor country like it is, we have we we have a, that that kind of uh, good players playing tennis. I don't know how we do it because the federation here is it's not good. It, 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 we don't have money to support players, and also Argentina is. It's really far away from the world, you know. Uh, the US, uh, We are uh, far away from U.S., far away from Europe, where the where most of the tennis tournaments are played. So, if you if you're a kid and you start to play tennis and you are very very good, you don't have the, that kind of support to to travel all all over the world and play, you know. You have to be uh, f- your family. Have to support you if you have money, or, or another like a manager. that see that you are you are very good and and puts money on you to receive back when you were when you went a a good professional tennis player. Something like that uh, came up with Korean Albanian. Mm, interesting.
1: Yes. Uh, so do most happy. tennis players come out of Buenos Aires or big no. cities? No.
2: No, they're from Buenos Aires. The only they are Jose Luis Clerc, the good player from the 80s. Um, no, they are, no. Del Potro, Del Potro, Zabaleta, Monaco, Perez Roldan, all from Tandil. Uh, an Albanian from Córdoba. Coria from Venado Tuerto Santa Fe. height Haite and Schwartman are from Buenos Aires. How oh, about Sabatini? Sabatini from Buenos Aires.
1: Okay.
2: He started to play tennis at rear plate. It's a soccer, a most uh, very popular soccer uh, team here. My team also. <laughs> and Schwartman and Height both, uh, both are from Buenos Aires. The, the, the common of Haite and Schwarman, that they came from uh, Jewish clubs. You know, like they're very, very strong. The, the, the community of uh, the Jew community here in Argentina is very big and they, they have a really good, good clubs here. And both Haite and Schwarman came from clubs like from the community in Buenos Aires.
1: So is tennis the number two sport in Argentina after football?
2: That's a good question. I believe right now that no. No? Soccer by far number one. Soccer. And then I believe the racing cars.
1: Racing cars, okay.
2: The second racing cars. And then the third sport is probably between tennis and basketball. Because of Manu Ginobili? Because of Ginobili, yes. Ginobili. For me, I, I think that tennis is over basket. But uh, the second one is uh, racing cars. Mm. And But the, here in Argentina, all the people are soccer. Soccer, soccer, and soccer.
1: So how is the national emotion after Del Porto retired? It was a pretty emotional match against uh, Del Bones. How is the newspaper and media and TV news covering his exit? He was probably, even though Gustin Gaudio won the French Open, it was supposed to be Korea and Albanian, and then it was him. So, and like you said before we started recording, he's right there after Villas. Him and Sabatini, according to you, are the two biggest players that came out of Argentina. So how is the nation reacting to his retirement? How is Argentina? Uh, well,
2: it, was, it was a shock. shock. It was shocked because we, 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 we didn't expect that. We... we here he 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 was training, preparing from camp, ke- coming back from, from tennis and played uh, Argentina and, I, and he was supposed to to play next week in Rio and then, I don't know another tournament. Everybody believes that he was in good shape, not a hundred percent, but I don't know eighty percent, seventy percent. Then I, I I I put the TV on. And it was the press conference. He was crying. And he said, I don't resist more pain in my knee. I cannot even walk straight. So I had to, to step back from tennis and, and retire. Uh, he, he left the door open uh, because, because he said in Spanish, if there's, another, if there's a doctor all over the world that can fix my problem with my knee, i will i I'll be I'll, I'll come back to tens. but the, the, the guy he has a a problem with his body you know he had a lot of injuries yeah he cannot resist anymore he was crying he was devastated. you know he's 33 he didn't play the last three years he has problems a lot of problems I don't know, but it's very emotional here. You know, the newspapers, the media, the TV, the radio, all all over talking about that.
1: Yeah, like you said, we all were expecting him to make a comeback because he said he's coming back. And everybody thought he's going to play in this tournament, then he's going to go to Acapulco, maybe you know, maybe get in Indian Wells. But yeah, this came out of nowhere. But then you're right, you know, but like you said, he's in so much pain, and it took him. You know, almost three years to come back and play this one, one, one final match, and he wasn't really—he didn't have his legs, right? He was struggling in the long rallies. He still had the yeah. power, but yeah, he didn't have the fitness that he wants you,
2: had. The, you watch watching You The match with Delbonis. Yeah, he was like—he uh, cannot have a—he cannot have a, cannot have a, a long rally. Uh, three years waiting for for to come back. It's mentally, it's very tough.
1: And plus, on top of that, he has financial trouble, right? His late father put him uh, in a lot of financial yes. stress.
2: They are, they are saying here that his father, who died last year, he invested very, very uh, bad his money. And he lost, they are saying, some rumors going on, that he lost 30, 30, 000, uh, $30 million dollars.
1: It's crazy. It's a lot of
2: money. And, and he only, he only had any, and the of his. And yes, and he has. He's he has right now only five million. They are saying that. I don't know if it's true or not. Five million is a lot of money, but for a guy that used to have, fifty, and his father lost that all all of the money. Is it's, yeah. it's yeah. uh it, it's a problem,
1: you know? No, definitely. Like uh, for people who don't have money, that's a big amount, but for those kind of guys who earn that kind of money to lose 90% of that money is not not a good situation.
2: Exactly. Because they, you know, you have $50 million in your pocket with 33 years old, you retire from tennis, you know, you are, you know, you are not going to work anymore in your life. So with 5 million, I don't know what's, (laughs) what's going to be with him. If he if he's going to to try again, to play again. Uh, they are saying that. I don't know if it's true. What I know is that the, the rumors are going on on the press about that. You can Google that in Spanish. Mm. put Del Potro's father money. If you, if you're going to see that.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, let's talk about some of the good memories. I mean, he won Indian Wells. He won US Open. He had some big finals in Olympics against... Uh, uh, you know Murray, and then he played a big match uh, against Federer in the 2012 uh, London Olympics. What are some of your favorite Del Potro memories? If you look at the four or five matches that stand out after his 13, 14 year career,
2: what comes to mind uh, first? The final with Federer in
1: 2009.
2: US Open. In Open. That was that, that number one for sure. The the second, the match with Djokovic, beating Djokovic at the Olympics in Rio after when he was coming back from another injury. And Djokovic, you know, Djokovic always wanted to win the, the gold medal from Serbia.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And when the drug, drug came, out, came, came out that at that time, he had to play with Del Potro. And Del Potro play, played one of his best matches of his career and beat him in, in Rio. I remember Djokovic crying because it was a lot of pressure on him on Serbia to win the gold medal. That was moment two for me. Another moment is number three. He winning, he winning the Davis Cup in Serbia and in Croatia. Uh, and I remember a very good match in Wimbledon when he lost. I, he lost to Djokovic in the semifinals. It was a twenty thirteen. One of the best matches I ever seen. But he lost, but he played very, very well. And that's for sure my former best moment. And number five has to be Young Wells.
1: No, that's a, that's that's a great career. It's a shame that it's come to this kind of an end. Uh, like you said, if the rumors are true, hopefully, you know, a prayer is answered. He can find a doctor who can make him go pain free and come back because you don't want to see a guy, any player go out with an injury like this when he's unable to compete at the level. And Del Porto is a very popular player, you know, a lot of fan support. So I wish, you know, these rumors are true that he can find another way to come back and play. But for now, it looks like it's over. So let's talk a few minutes about Argentina Open before I let you go. So this is a tournament that gets a lot of good players. It's in a different time because, you know, it's uh, summer in Argentina right now. And it's ideally, and it's in a different continent, like you said. So it'll never be in the same month as if Roland Garros, because that time people are playing on clay in Europe. But this tournament has had some good players. Nishikori has played here, I think. Uh, Dominic Team has played here. I believe Nadal has played here, right? Songa, Nadal,
2: Nishikori, Ferrer many times. Uh, right now, Fonin is playing. Uh, uh, Moya Carlos Moya I used, used to play here. Uh, I, I I remember I watched a match uh, of of Dominic Team when he was uh, he was a uh, nobody knows him. And hmm. I, I, I saw that match. I remember I remember that and watching that and on the, on the court I say who is this guy? You know because I I, I, I was watching him play and and I I was thinking this guy in two or three years he's going to be number in the ten best players of the world. And they, they, uh, after two or three years he was number five, number four. So the match, here, uh, the the tournament here is a very good tournament. The the place is really nice. It's in a good neighborhood in Buenos Aires, Palermo. But with the problem in Argentina is the with the currency, you know, with our we have the peso here and the peso right now we have right now in Argentina we are. We have last year 50% of inflation you know so when the dollar is very uh, is cheap good players came here like Nadal like Team. when it came to the opposite like right now Good players didn't come to Argentina because we are far away, and they prefer to pay in Europe. So it, it depends on the currency of the peso. Right now we don't have we don't have money. Uh, we don't have a, a currency in Argentina. It's a uh, toilet paper is better than than peso. Oh. It's, it's like that. Something like that for you to know. So no, with, no, with that problem that's a very good big problem because the tournaments don't have money to. Pay for good players because you know when Nadal came here, Nadal he didn't came here to for the for the prize tournament of the tournaments Yeah, of course. He, they put some some fixed money on his pocket. I don't know fifty thousand, a hundred thousand. So he came to play. Right now they can't they can do that. So yeah, most tournaments yeah. are like that,
1: right? Uh, the ATP two fifty or five hundred they always have the appearance fees they give to the top players, which is a lot more than the actual uh, prize money of the tournament. So that's not a surprise. Like you know, Nadal team, all these guys, wherever they go, they get handsomely paid. Uh, so China yeah,
2: right now is, is very poor. It's very, it's very poor right now. The dollar for us is very expensive. So if you translate that to the tournament, you don't have money to, uh, I don't know, to have here the one of the best ten players of the world.
1: Yeah, that, that's always a challenge. I hope things change, and uh, you know this tournament can attract bigger names like Rafael Nadal in the future. So, talk about the club because I know you've gone to this tournament a lot. So, is what is the history of this club that's hosting this tournament? Is it a private so it's, club or is an exclusive club?
2: The the the, the name of the, the club is Buenos Aires Lawn Tennis. It's the most prestigious club in Buenos Aires it has a lot of history it was the Argentina used to play Davis Cup always there most of them and it's it has a lot of history because we know Villas playing there Clare, Sabatini all the good players Davis Cup matches very good matches and the tournament is there it's very very well located I, I like I said, man, the neighborhood is really nice. It's like for for you to know, it's like the the the, the club. It's you 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 know you know you you know New York Central Park. Mm-hmm. It's like the club being in the middle of the Central Park. No, oh. something like that. It's very no. nice. No, I mean very I've nice. been.
1: I've been in talks with you. I, if there was no COVID, I wanted to attend this tournament. I know it's a little far from Boston. It's a 10-hour flight from New York. But uh, this is one tournament that I want to attend. And um, I don't know when that's going to be possible because I think it's perfect time to go and watch some great tennis and some clay. I really enjoy watching tennis and clay. Uh, hopefully, we can make it happen. So so that's, that's good to know that it's, it's, the club has a lot of history. So you always tell me about some names. Last year you told me about Serendolo. Who else is coming up in the Argentina tennis that we don't know about? I know Sebastian Baez is like, you know, a a young player who's been coming up. Are there any other names you want to share with the listeners? The guys who could be, you know, making the top 200 or top 100 in the ATP? Is there anyone you want to talk about?
2: Well, right now the press, they are saying that Baez is the future. Mm-hmm. He lost yesterday to Sonego. I, I saw. I watch. I watched the match. He's a good player, but right now, for me, we don't have a a kid that's going to be like Coria, Nalbandian, Del Potro. It's going to be huge to find a a good tennis player I, again in the future. for For these years, I don't know. Maybe in three, four years, we have a. A kid that's going to be in the best 20 of the ATP. Now, right now it's Schwartzman, And I don't see too much players. The vice is the, the kid who's coming. Serundolo, he, he, there are two brothers. Mm-hmm. One won the Cordoba Open last year. He's a left-hander. I don't see him playing with the... His tennis to to be in the top fifty of the world. I don't see him. And his brother, he's playing right now. I'm watching here when I'm talking to you. He's playing again uh, on the quarterfinal of Buenos Aires. He's, uh, he has a strong forehand. I and he's a better better player. But like I said, uh, he's playing in Argentina, Buenos Aires. When he when he went to came out to play in another tournament on the world, nothing has happened yet. So for me right now, uh, if you have to, if I have to, to say to you one name, buys, but it's not like the guy is going to be a star, mm. to be a top five, top ten, he can be a top twenty, twenty five. That's my opinion. Right when I, we are not uh, like Nalvarian, Coria, Gaudio, Del Potro, not again for through
1: two or uh, five years for me. All right. So, yeah, that was a fun talk. Uh, I know uh, you have a busy evening ahead of you with family. So thank you for doing this, Carlos. It was good to talk about Del Porto, about Argentina tennis. And uh, let's hope, you know, we continue the conversation. Thank you for joining us.
2: Now, thank you. And anytime you want to talk about tennis, I'm, I'm glad to to talk with you.